Okay, I'm going to just read some scriptures this morning, and then we're going to we'll have the word from God's heart. Okay, this is uh, I'm going to read from from Acts, the tenth chapter. Acts chapter 10, verse 42 and 43. Verse 42 says, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify, and to be a witness and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, Christ, give all the prophets witness, as witness through their teaching, in their lives, that through his name, whosoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And then in Acts 13, Acts 13, verse 38 and 39. Acts 13, verse 38, it says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren. And when it says that, that's all of us that have received Christ as our Savior. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him and through him, and because of him, him and what he has accomplished to his Father on, and for us on our behalf, and by him, all that believe are justified, completely cleared of all guilt and condemnation from all things from which you could not be justified or cleared of all guilt and condemnation by the law of Moses. And then I'm going to read in Ephesians, the first chapter. In Ephesians Verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, a messenger of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus. Saints are all those that are in Christ that have been sanctified in him. Uh, according to John 17 and 17. And to the faithful, notice what it says, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And when it says that, that is not talking about what we do or what we don't do. The fact that we're in Christ, God considers us faithful. And then as a result of that, being in Christ, all that God is towards us through Christ is grace to you. And when we function in this grace, it's called peace. We have peace because Christ in Ephesians 2.14 is our peace. And peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Isn't that amazing? According as he has chosen us in him, of course, by us receiving uh, him, by us giving our will over to him, not bypassing our will and causing others to be saved and others to go to hell. No. Our will met his will. His will was first in his love for us. 
but our will met his and we received Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And that's what we are in Christ. Having predestinated or foreordained us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of what? God's will, his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has, that's past tense, once we've received Christ, past tense, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood and are experiencing it according to, to the riches of his grace, wherein he's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery, this, that the fact of his will, which was in eternity, and is being brought out now, not that it's mysterious, according to his good pleasure, which he's purposed in himself. It really is amazing. And then you can read the rest of that. Really, when it talks about our position, the key word, some 86 times or so, the key word is in. That's, that speaks of our place, our position, and our proper image in Christ. And you can see it in those first three chapters of Ephesians. But here, here we are again in 1 John. Now, this is 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love, what kind of love, what is this love like? that the Father's bestowed upon us by putting us in Christ, that we should be called the sons of God. As a result of that, the world doesn't know us because obviously in John 1.10, didn't know him. The world, the whole world system, every human being outside of Christ that functions under Satan, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, notice that's what we are. That's our position. That's how God sees us. Beloved, now, now, we're not waiting for something. Now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we will be. But we know that when he will appear, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And every man that has this hope and that hope is Christ in us in Colossians 1.27. And that's not, I hope so, that's guarantee. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. And then I'm going to read, we're going to read in Revelations. I'll read there in the 12th chapter. Revelations 12. In verse 9, and it says, the great dragon was cast out. Now, when it says that in Revelations 12 and verse 9, when you read Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, in the 15th verse, down through, this is what happened to him as a result of his pride, Satan, when he looked on himself and made himself everything, made himself to be right and God to be guilty. And we see that in Isaiah 14. 9 through 17, and the great dragon was cast out of heaven. That old serpent, that means 
forever he lost his place and he, he would be unchangeable. He's that old serpent. When it says the old serpent here, he's going way back here because this is way forward in time now. But he's going way back here when it says the old serpent is the one in Genesis 3 verse 1 who used the serpent with all, and to, with all his subtlety, Satan's subtlety, against Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. That old serpent called the devil. The devil. It's very interesting when you study his name, devil, and what he's like now. And the fact that how he, as an adversary against God, opposes God. Devil is, is made up of the Greek word diabolos. And it's D-I-A-B-O-L-L-O-S. And dia means to pierce through. To pierce through. And one is to keep that in mind. To pierce through and to cause to throw down. That's the devil and Satan, opponent, opposer, opposer. So when we see his, his, his names, which they reveal his nature, he is one who likes to pierce through and throw down as an opponent. Those are what the names mean, which deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. Now, this is future, what's going to happen. What's going to happen? He was cast out into the earth because right now, being cast out of the third heaven, the very presence of God, he functions in the second heaven, and we know the third heaven is that that's around the earth. So all his projections, and all his projections, his piercing us through, accusing us to throw us down as an adversary, he does this from the second heaven. And that's where we get all these projections and these lies and these imaginations that somehow, now that we're in Christ, that somehow God's against us. <laughs> which if that were true, which is, it isn't, it's a lie, that he would have to be against his own son who's actually sitting at his right hand. And sitting there at the right hand, we see in Revelations, the first chapter, and scores of other places starting in Psalm 110, verse 1, and all the way through and many, many other places. He's sitting at the right hand. He's sitting because he's propitiated the Father and dealt with the sin question. And now, as our substitute, he sits with us in him because he's finished it for us. And he's sitting there. And the right hand there in the Bible is the fact that he's sitting there with us in him because the Father's completely has accepted us in the beloved in Ephesians 1 6. He's already accepted us. He's already done all of that. And here we are sitting in him and the Father completely and utterly, overwhelmingly glorified and satisfied with all of us in him. And this is what the enemy does as he comes against us. And he deceives the whole world. He was cast out of the earth, and his angels, those now demon, those demon spirits, were cast out with him. That's where we see in, in Revelations 12 and verse 4, where it says, his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven. And we know based upon the scriptures, for instance, like in Job 38 and verse 7, 
stars there are representative of how these, before they were fallen, these angels reflected the very nature of God, the very nature of God, his very beauty in the, in the way that God had created them. And, but here, these stars, these angels, were cast down, a third of an innumerable host of which Satan, before mankind was ever created, went through the heavens, went through the heavens and was slandering the very nature of God to these other angels. A third of them believed him and went, went with him in his rebellion against God. And they're innumerable. And that's why it says for us in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, the weapons of our warfare, and that means who we are in Christ. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't have to do with, with blood and flesh because we don't wrestle against them that in Ephesians 6 verse 12. Our wrestling against, is against these third of these evil demonic forces under Satan who constantly come against us because we are located, our location, our position, our image, is in the Son of His love in Colossians 1 and verse 13. Because Colossians 1 verse 12 says He's transliterated us. When we receive Christ as our Savior, He immediately took us out of that old position in our old fallen, ruined nature and placed us in the Son of His love. That's Colossians 1, 12 and 13. And so here... He's cast out. He's, the, he's cast out and his angels. Now look at verse 10. And I beheld, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. That's what he does. That's what he does. Remember in Job, the first chapter, when the, when the other angels, the unfallen angels, were getting their orders from God, then Satan came. Satan came in there. And we see how God allowed Satan to come against Job. But could he be a victor over him? Could he be a conqueror over him? No, he couldn't. And, and of course, he certainly can't with us. But it says here that the accuser of our brethren, and who are the brethren? The beloved, that's who we are in Christ, is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. He accuses us. The enemy, through, through being the devil, dear, he likes to pierce us through with these projections and these lies and telling us, likes to tell us and convince us what we're not because of what we do and because of what we are. When the fact of the matter is, if we remember we read 1 John 3, 1 to 3, we are already like him, like Christ already. That's what we are. And he accuses us that we have to do certain things. And that and because these things happen to us, because I failed and God is punishing me. <laughs> does God punish anyone who's in Christ? Or does he lovingly correct them? Well, in verse 11 of, of Revelation 12, it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb 
the finished work of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, we witness to the fact that this is true. And, and how does he not affect us? Look, and they love not their own lives unto the death. We don't love anything about the old anymore. Because then if we do, the enemy will try and use that to accuse us. So Satan's full time, full time, until, until he's, he's put into the pit in Revelations 20, verse 2 and 3, until he's put in there for a thousand years, right? Until, and that, it's not, that hasn't happened yet. All he does full time, full time, is since he's the God of this world, we know that, in 2 Timothy, it's 4, 4. He, right now, he's the God of this world order. Right? For a time, and God's allowed that. He keeps the whole world deceived. He keeps the whole world completely deceived. Ah, uh, there is no God, or, you know, if there is, he doesn't care for you, or, you know, uh, all these cults. That's how he keeps the whole world deceived. But to us that are in Christ, what is his full-time ministry? To accuse us. How? To try and pierce us through, to try and crush us, to do everything he can to hurt us. That's what he tries to do. You know why? And he convinces us, see, you're not already like you should be because you're doing this, because you do this and you don't do that. <laughs> the verses that we just read in Ephesians 1.6 1 John 3, 1 to 3, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, scores of other scriptures. Has God already, apart from anything that we could do, based upon Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, has God already made us to be like his son by what his son did for us? And did it have anything to do with what we could do? Doesn't. Comes in and he accuses us. Any accusation. And so that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Oh, but the enemy wants to make it that way. Wants to convince us through lies. You don't add up. You're not like this believer. You're not doing enough. <laughs> You're not what you should be. Really. We're already accepted in the beloved the moment we received him. He already made us to be everything in Christ to God's complete glory and satisfaction. But yet the enemy comes in constantly to crush us, to hurt us. We've said this verse a lot lately. And in, in John 10, verse 10, we know that the thief has come to what? To steal. What's he tried to steal away? our proper experience that we're already accepted in the Beloved. And even when, even our confessing what we fail in has already been paid for. Not that we live in grace, that we live in sin, that we can have grace. It wouldn't be that in Romans 6, 1 and 15. But no, no. But we're already accepted in the Beloved. And the enemy constantly, constantly comes against us. That's why it says, casting down imaginations, lies. Because the enemy wants to pierce us through and crush us and throw us down. Throw us down. Because he, because 
He's an opponent. He's an adversary against Christ in us. Does he accuse the world? Those that are deceived, unsaved? No, they're deceived. They're totally deceived. And he, in their deception, through what he does with them, will even cause them, if they even begin to believe in a God, will accuse that God and make him something that he's not. That's what he tries to do with us, with his accusations. Yeah, you're saved, but you know what? You know, do you really believe that your sins are already paid for? Do you actually believe that, like in those scriptures? Do you actually believe Acts 10, 42 and 43? Do you actually believe that in Acts 13, 38, and 39, that you're already justified, that as far as God is concerned, you're guilt-free in Christ? Yeah, you actually believe that? Or do you, do, do you and I, through an accusation and a lie, believe that we have to do something, and if we don't do enough, we won't be accepted? He tries to crush us and hurt us. It's his full-time job. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and all these high things that try to exalt themselves. And how does he do that? How does he try to exalt these lies above who we already are in Christ? To make us think that we have to do something that we fall short. To try and convince us, is there anything that we have to do that Jesus hasn't already finished about us. Because if it wasn't true, then would he be seated at the right hand of the Father with all of us in him? Are we in him? I don't know. First three chapters of the, uh, the epistle to Ephesians bring out the fact that we already are in him. And it wasn't based upon what we did or what we didn't do. It was based upon what he did. Is based upon him. So any thinking outside of God's full thought about who we are in Christ, where does that come from? It's diabolus. It's the devil. And he's trying to pierce us through. Trying to pierce us through. To cast us down. To cast us down with these lies. To think that it's over. It's over. But are we already positioned in Christ in heaven? Are we already there in him? Do we actually believe that? Do, are we actually going to trust God with that? Because it's a fact. Because it's a finished work. In John 19.30, it's finished. Oh, how he tries to come in to crush us and hurt us. See, he can't do anything about our position in Christ. So... He deceives the world because they are not positioned in Christ. But what he does against us that are positioned in him is he comes in and accuses and wants that lie to be lodged in our experience. To steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and experience that life in their own individuality in, a, in an abundance and then in, a, in the body of Christ and in a local assembly to experience that. He constantly comes against us to pierce us through, to crush us, to overwhelm us. But are we already more than conquerors through him that loves us? In Romans 8, verse 37. Are we more than conquerors? Do you think he wants us 
to function in that experience? We already are. Uh, with that we're so loved already and that we're already like him? I was reading it this morning. There's not a time in my life, there is not a time in my life where that enemy doesn't seek to crush me personally, literally. To so overwhelm me, to so overwhelm me, it's not a time. And, and that's why we need to put on the armor of God's love through Christ and, and that Christ that he is in Ephesians 4, 20, 24. Put off the old, because what's the old? That's a lie, because are we the old anymore? Or has he made us already new in the son of his love? Has he already done that? He's already done it. I was thinking this and reading these scriptures and it's so, so incredible. Just, just think we already are like him. <laughs> and it's we're, it's we're in a waiting period for that to be manifested. But we already are like him. I mean, that's who we are. That's 1 John 1, 7, walk in the light. Is he's in the light. That's, that's our character and who we are in Christ. That's not talking about conduct. And if the conduct that we fail in sin, and that is not the equal of what we already have been made in the Son of His love, what do we do in 1 John 1 9? What do we do? We confess it. Are we asking to be forgiven? You know, the enemy wants to constantly convince us we have to keep asking for forgiveness when we're already forgiven in Ephesians 4.32. We're already forgiven because we're in the son of his love. <laughs> That's it. It's unbelievable. We're already like him. We read that. Didn't we read that? 1 John 3.2. We're already like him. Already. Does that have to do with any thinking outside of God's thought? If it does, it's a lie, isn't it? Well, I read this this morning, some of these this morning. As the enemy has been in my own personal life, obliterating me, trying to convince me of what I'm not, based upon lying thoughts that he wants us to, to lodge, to pierce through in our experience. Remember, you can't pierce, you cannot touch our position. 1 John 5, 18. The wicked one touches us not. He goes after that experience. And he wants to pierce through with lies into that experience. But I read this and, and uh, how he was trying to do this. You know, the, the epistle to the Thessalonians, that's the first epistle, the first writing that the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul to write. It's the first one that he wrote. Matter of fact, when he wrote it about, and that, we're going to read about that, about the rapture, rapturing the church off the earth. He actually believed it was going to be in his lifetime. Because uh, that's, that, that's what our position is in Christ. We're to look for him in Titus 2.13. And that means our view is, is, is vertical. It's heavenly. And nothing about us is on this earth. Because on this earth right now, outside of functioning in our proper place as we are in the body of Christ, is the whole world in a deceptive state right now? Yeah. But are we in Christ? Positionally, no. 
but boy, does he want to come in. Because if he can deceive me with his lies about what I am and what I'm not, and what I do and what I don't do, then he can accuse me. But can you accuse, can you accuse a man in a courtroom that the judge has declared to be guilt-free? Charges were brought against him, but they were found out to be a lie because the witnesses that entered that courtroom lied against that one. And the judge saw it and said, you leave guilt-free. That's because Christ is our lawyer. He represents us. He's the representation of our image. And in our image, in Christ, as he's seated, there's no guilt, no condemnation. Even about the rapture, this is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. This is Holy Spirit through Paul speaking to those in, that, in, in Thessaloniki. He said, but I would not that you would be ignorant. See, God, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. Not knowing, that's what that means. He doesn't consider us stupid. How could he? The enemy ever convince you you're stupid? You don't get truth, you don't understand this enough? When we're already perfect in Christ, and God's just working that out in our growth, and being very patient with us as he does it, because he loves us. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. See, brethren, who are those? Those accepted in Christ. Concerning them which are asleep. Now, those which are asleep are those that are in God's presence already. And as far as they're concerned, they, they, he that dies once, what? In Romans 6, 9, dies no more. Their body is just sleeping, waiting to be, waiting there to get a resurrection glorified body. That's brought out again in Philippians 3, 21 and scores of other places. Uh, Revelations chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5, when we walk with him in white, we have on these garments, those are those brand new bodies that we have. And that's brought out in Romans eight eighteen also. But here, them which are asleep, them which have already gone home to be with the Lord, with the, because when we die, until the rapture until the rapture and the resurrection, our bodies are in the ground, our spirit and our soul return to God that gave it. Those that are in Christ. And that's what he's saying, them that are asleep. Concerning them which sleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. They were afraid that they might miss out on something and because they're with them and that they would because they're still on the earth prior to the rapture. But he's telling them, it's all the same thing. You're all going to be together. They're all going to be together. And then it says, for if we believe in Jesus that died and rose, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word, of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, right? And when it says here, unto the coming of the Lord, that's second advent. That's when he's going to come back in Revelations, the 19th chapter. And we're going to come back with him. We're going to come back with him. Them and this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that they which we, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not prevent them which are asleep. We won't, they won't miss out. 
They're not going to miss out, neither will we. We're not going to miss out on a single thing. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. This is bringing out Revelations, the 19th chapter. Especially starting in verse 11. Will shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ, their bodies, will rise, right? Because their spirit and souls are already there. Their body, that, that are them within heaven, their bodies in the ground. Some won't taste death, they'll be raptured. But we'll all meet Christ in the air. We receive our new bodies. Then we enter into what is called the Bema seat, not the judgment seat. It's where we'll be evaluated by God's love. We're going to be evaluated at that Bema seat. And that Bema seat is Romans 14, 10 to 12. That Bema seat is 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15. And 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, where it says that we'll receive the things done in our body, whether good or bad. And then we see, is that a judgment seat? If we meet Christ, we're born again, and we believe that he crucified the old, in Romans 6, 1 through 6, and that he paid for all of our sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 103, verse 12. Then what's being manifested there? The gracious work that God did in us, that he caused us to walk in in our position, and that's Ephesians 2.10, to walk in them. And then all that other stuff is burnt up. That All that other stuff is burnt up. And it's grace that does both. Isn't that amazing? Because there's no judgment for us. That's why, it's, that's why it's wrongly put in certain translation, the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? Because there's no judgment for us because Christ was judged for it. And the judgment that's brought out there is manifested that he was judged for it in our place at the Bema seat. Because we're already like him. And he's trying to tell these precious ones here. Don't you worry about that. No one's missing anything. I don't want you to be ignorant of any of this truth. For the Lord himself in 4.16 will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. The dead in Christ, the bodies are dead. Right? That means what? Death is what? Separation. You die, your physical body goes back to the dust in Genesis 3.19. Your spirit and soul in Ecclesiastes 12, 6 and 7 return to God who gave it. But if you're not born again, does it return to God in that sense or are you in hell? And so this is what it says. Verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So what that means is teaching us is the rapture is he pulls us off the earth because he's coming to judge the earth. And is there any judgment for us? No. So all our loved ones that are in heaven right now, and if we don't, if we don't die and go to be with him and the rapture happens, we all meet together <laughs> with Christ in the air. Oh, God. We meet. We meet. Then we which are alive remain will be caught up together with them. Isn't that awesome? 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort, comfort, exhort, edify, build up one another with these words. With all these words, there's no condemnation for us. There's none. There's no guilt. There's no guilt. And that's why God, through his word and through messages, is constantly separating the flesh from who we are in Christ and our experience. He's not against us. The separation is the fact that he removes the flesh because the flesh was that condemned. Yes, but is that who we are anymore? No. Now, do you see? We come back with him. Did, did we see that? So we come back with him, right? In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Now, this is what I love about these scriptures here as the enemy trying to, trying to condemn me and make me guilty, try and make me bleed to death and crush me for failure and for sins and for things that I do and things that I don't do. You know, you did this and you weren't supposed to. You should have done this and you didn't do that. All the guilt and con condemnation, right? Well, 1 Corinthians 15. 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery, something that hasn't been revealed but is ours in Christ. We will not all sleep. Remember the body sleep? We read that in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. Okay, we will not all sleep, meaning not all of us are going to die and go to be with it. My bodies will be in the grave. Because remember the two, those two things that happened in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. <laughs> We're going to experience a change, right? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, their bodies, incorruptible, because we know that, that corruption can't in inherit incorruption. We just read that we'll, that's in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and those latter, those former verses, right? will be raised incorruptible, and we will all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. What that's talking about is new bodies. Because our spirit and soul is completely cleansed, right? <laughs> completely cleansed, no condemnation. And then, to fit us to be with him for eternity, we put on these brand new bodies. Remember what his body was like in John the 20th chapter. He, was, he just went right through walls. Remember he told those that are Emmaus, in Emmaus, in Luke 24, 49, he said, touch me, 48 and 49, touch me, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, just a spirit, right? So what, he was, what he's teaching us is this, again. For this corruptible bodies, not spirit and soul, must put on incorruption, these brand new bodies. And this mortal, that mortal body that, that died, and, or instantly we're out of these old bodies and receiving our new ones at the rapture, if we don't die already, must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible will have put on will have put on incorruption, and this mortal have put on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying that is written, "Death is swallowed up in life." Okay, and that's brought out in Isaiah twenty-five and verse eight. Again, in Revelations twenty and verse fourteen. Then will be brought to pass. The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Are we already victorious? Can death ever sting us or hurt us again? No. Matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 7.1, a good name is his precious ointment. But we have this new name in Revelations 2.17 because Christ has given us a new name, a brand new nature. Right? And the day of one's death it's better than the day of one's birth because we were born sinners. But through Christ and him, us dying with him, we were brand new. <laughs> and what the enemy tried to cause through death, God brought out the life of Christ through what he accomplished on the cross. And he did that for us. And then we say, oh, death, where is your sting? In Hosea 13 and verse 14. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? You can't keep our body there, even the body. Our spirit and soul is with the Lord, but you can't even do that with our body. You can't even do that because we're already perfected in the Son of His love, complete, already. And God is working it into us in our experience. And that's what the enemy comes against with his lies to pierce us through, to crush us, to hurt us. O grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. Enemy trying to raise up legalism, trying to make the word legalism. You have to do this and don't do that. And But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. And what? Are we steadfast when we're on a foundation? Is Christ our foundation? 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. Matthew 16, 18. Be steadfast. Unmovable. When those lies come against you and those projections, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means as he works in us and through us with this reality and this truth to give us that life, he wants to make it abundant and use us to give it to others, to manifest it to others. You see that in 2 Corinthians 3, in those first six verses. Therefore, my beloved, who are we? We're beloved. We're beloved. When? Right now. Right now. No, nothing has to change about me. It's already changed. He just has to get my experience in growth as his children, and we're all children in Galatians 3.26, to get it equal to our position where Christ is seated at the right hand because God's view of us is Christ, period. And he doesn't have another view of us. Does he see us when we, when we uh, fail and function in sin that his son paid for? Yes. But does he treat us after it? No. He treats us in the son of his love. 
what? You mean you love me like you love your son? Yes. Wow. Oh, the enemy doesn't want that one, huh? Therefore, my beloved, my beloved here, when it says that, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, is Romans 8, 31. God for me. If I'm his beloved, who can be against me? Has he not freely given us his son? Will he not freely with him give us all things? Or who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Is it God? Romans 8.33? No. Who is it then? It's Diabolus. Satan, slanderer, liar. Who will condemn us in Romans 8 verse 34? Will God, now that we're in Christ, could he? Would he condemn his son? Would he make his son get off the throne where he's fully accepted with us in him to the Father's perfect satisfaction? Will he make him get off his throne and go back down and try to do everything again? Or is it done once and for all? Hebrews 10, 1 through 10 to 14. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. That's our position in Christ. This is Ephesians the first chapter, second chapter, third chapter. Unmovable. Because what God is doing in our experience right now, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, read those 29 verses. And it's going to tell you what chastisement is. Chastisement is God allows the enemy to shake in us what only can be shaken that's not of him. So that what is shaken is removed out of the way so that what can't be shaken remains in us and our experience. Remain unmovable, always abounding in the work that God is working in us, the reality of who we are in Christ. And when he works it into us and it's our intimate experience, now I have it to give in fellowship to others. Then I can go out into the lost world and tell them, hey, you know what? God can love you just like he loves me. He can love you just like he loves me. And you don't have to do anything about it. You just have to receive it. That's all you got to do. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Boy, he hates us. But oh, how God loves us. We're already everything that God could ever have us to be. We're already every single thing that he's already made us to be in the son of his love. And anything else that comes against that is just diabolus. He's trying to pierce us through in our experience so that we don't function in our experience and have an equal experience of the reality and unchangeable and immutable truth about who we are in Christ in our position. And he loves us. And boy, the enemy wants to come in. And I can't tell you in my own life how many times, especially when we're alone, how he likes to come in with his lies to crush us, to literally crush us and to make us bleed and to try and kill us (laughs) because we're in Christ. Because he wants us to be out. He wants us to be out because we have Christ in us, the glory of of his father. The, like the fact that God is glorified in him through Christ and the Father. 
and he's in us in his love and his love never changes. I am the Lord your God, I change not. Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord your God, I change not. He will never change his mind about his love and his love is a love that will never let us go. He's just seeing us through. He's seeing us through to our face-to-face meeting with Christ. He's seeing us through. And uh, some of us will be raptured. If we're not, we go home and we're with all our loved ones. And then if some are still and the rapture happens prior to the judgment, and that's this, and we'll close with this, and when you read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, and when you read 1 Corinthians 15, 51, in 52, when you read those scriptures all the way down through, and then we can see it even in Jude. Even in Jude. It's really awesome as God was revealing his counsel to me in the face of all the accusations of the enemy that were coming against me. And in Jude chapter, in Jude here, which is only one chapter, in Jude, it has Jude in verse, four, in, in, in verse 14 of Jude, it says, in Enoch. Now, remember Enoch? Remember Enoch? In Genesis 5, verse 24, it says, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. He didn't die. He didn't die. God translated him, just like he did Elijah. Remember what he did with Elijah? He translated him. That was a type of the rapture. That was a type of it. Now here it says in verse 14 of Jude, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam. See? The seventh from Adam. Seven is completion. It's complete. Who we are in Christ, we're complete, finished in him. Enoch. So he was translated. Prophesied of these, all these lies. Go back from verse 14 in Jude and read back through what what the enemy does. And he does it through through people too. Seventh from Adam, saying, Behold, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. They didn't have numbers like we do back then. Thousands and thousands and millions and millions of believers. We're coming back with him. That's Revelation, the 19th chapter, 11 to 16. We come back with him. He comes with thousands and thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. See? All ungodly, you see that here, to execute judgment upon all. Who's the all? And to convince all that are ungodly. Who's he convincing? All those that refuse to receive Christ as their Savior. That's John 16, 8 through 11. He convinces the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. They refused him, just like the the evil Pharisees, the wicked Pharisees, in stoning Stephen, the first Christian martyr, in Acts 7, 51, you always do resist the Holy Spirit from causing you to realize, and you know it, to receive Christ as your Savior because you can't do it yourself. This is what he was saying here. And he's coming back because now, is there any judgment for us? Nope. Christ was judged in our place. So then, but we come back with him We're coming back with him. And he's going to convince through this judgment of all that are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds. What are ungodly deeds? Sins. 
They're going to be brought up at the great white throne in Revelations, the 20th chapter, verses 11 to 15. But do, do is there a great white throne for us? No. There's a Bema seat, but it's not a judgment. It's a manifestation. And it's the fact that there is a judgment for us at the Bema seat, and that judgment is there is none because Christ fulfilled it for us. <laughs> really awesome. The, their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches and ungodly sinners which have spoken against him. And then he goes in and tells you what these are and how they come against their mockers. They mock, you know, people mock you. What the heck are you doing? I mean, even in the, even, even the best of our, even the best of our born-again family maybe born-again natural family that don't know who they are in Christ completely, and they'll mock when God calls you to do certain things in your life because they don't understand it, you know? Mockers in the last time. Not in terms of salvation, though, of course not. Who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves. They're sensual, not having the Spirit. But you, what? Jude 20. But you who? Beloved. Who's beloved? Already in Christ, already perfect, no guilt, no condemnation, old nature crucified, all sins paid for, already done. And here we are learning it <laughs> by separating from us and our experience in the flesh what we're not. But even when that teaching comes, the enemy likes to say, see, see what this person's saying? He's telling you this is who you are. No, he's not. He's telling you who you're not. Who you're not. And the anger is not at the person, it's at that enemy who does that to that, to that person because he knows what the enemy does to him. But you, separated from all that, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Now, are we kept in our position? Are we the untouchable ones in 1 John 5, 18 in that position? Well, he wants to keep that position a reality in our experience. Keep yourselves in the love of God and look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto, unto eternal life. That's Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has teaching us in Titus 2.12 to deny all ungodliness. It's not who we are in the flesh. But to look for him, that great shepherd, right? to look for him, to look for him. And I'll close with this, to look for him. And let's read, and I'll read it with you in Titus 2. Look what it says in Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation, that brought salvation, has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness because it's not who we are and worldly lust, it's not who we are, although those things are in the flesh. We should live soberly, how to think right with the scriptures, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. <laughs> oh, boy, if we don't go to him, if we, if we die, we go to him. But if not, we're to continue to look for him. Looking for that blessed hope. 
for the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one and the same. It's not separating. It's saying God is great and so is Jesus. No, the great God is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Isn't that amazing? Oh, God. He not only did away with our old nature crucified, he not only paid for our sins, but he gave himself to us. <laughs> Jeez. Having done all, that's having done all of that, he gave himself to us. That he might redeem us from all iniquity, from that lie. Remember, Satan, iniquity was found in him in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, and purify unto himself in our experience, a very peculiar, very particular people, zealous of good works. These things speak and rebuke, and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. Don't let anyone take you lightly. Don't you allow the enemy to cause you to take yourself lightly. Because thank God, we're not our own in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We're his. And you know what our title is? My beloved. You and I are his beloved. And Father, thank you for the truth that you made us in Christ. Thank you for the truth of this, about who we are in Christ. And when the enemy comes in, like a flood, in Isaiah 59, verse 15, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises against you will be contemned. And thank you that we're more than conquerors. And that's what you're bringing into our experience. You're replacing every lie in our experience with the truth, the thing that's true about us. Because it's true in Jesus, and because it's true in Jesus, he's made it ours, and we're true in him in 1 John 5.20. And thank you for this truth, that when the enemy comes in and says, oh, no, you're less. Nope, you're less. Nope. Thank you, Lord, about the truth about who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.